Welcome back to Let Us Go Deeper. This is episode 11 on this series on the book of Daniel. I'm here with Pastor Enskip Alsop. My name is Joel Amenya. Hello everyone, it's good to be back again to continue this journey in the book of Daniel. It's good to have you, Pastor. And so we are, we are now really having to track very carefully what's going on because as we saw last week, uh, the, the Jews have been given a period of time and there is even this larger period of time of 2,300 days through which uh, we are going to see the progression towards the coming of, uh, of the Lord. Yes, so on to 2,300 evening and morning, the sanctuary would be restored. And as we mentioned, this whole sanctuary issue has to do with justice and mercy and how God is going to deal with both justice and the mercy. So the sanctuary, which was cast down, meaning men and women didn't recognize the intercession of God above. Men and women didn't recognize because of the work of the little horn that there's a mediator above. So they either tried to work themselves buy themselves into heaven, work themselves into salvation, or feel condemned. So, when 2,300 evening mornings were completed, we believe 2,300 years, there would be a, a great revelation. People would begin to understand. Truth would come forward, and the men and women will once again look to their high priest in heaven and what he's doing. So the sanctuary, this place, whereby mercy and justice were able to sit at the table of grace, and become friends will be restored. People will begin to understand. For let's be honest, if I'm going to be just, I can't be merciful. If I'm going to do justice, I can't be merciful because you need to pay for what you've done. If I'm going to be merciful, then it means I must put justice aside. But the world needs justice to function. Right. Because people must know that there is a consequence. People must know that things will be balanced in the end. But it needs mercy because people make mistakes. But how do you get these two enemies, justice and mercy, to come to the table? Well, think about America with the Jews and the Palestinians on two sides of the divide and they seem to never be able to meet. So sometimes we had Reagan did it, Jimmy Carter did it, bring these leaders into Camp David around the table of the negotiation. I'm saying grace holds mercy on one hand and justice on the, on the other hand and say, hey, let's talk and brings them into the sanctuary, so to speak. And that is where we see God is able to be just and still merciful. merciful. In the sanctuary, the whole ceremony and everything we see how a just God who must show justice is able to be a merciful God and show mercy because grace allows justice and mercy to walk hand in hand, mm -hmm. so to speak. This is the great overarching battle that's taking place between goodness and mercy and, and the forces of evil played out in the lives of Daniel and in the lives of the Jews. So when Daniel sees this vision, he's like, what's going on here? Then the angel comes to him and says, Daniel, of this 2,300 evening and morning, 70 weeks or 77 or 490 years are assigned to your people, the Jews. The Jews, yeah. Right. 
It says to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. In other words, through your people, God will be able to bring Messiah into the world, to put an end to sin, to put an end to transgression. You will anoint the most holy one, Christ, and you will be able to bring in everlasting righteousness, Christ our righteousness. Mm -hmm. But on the other end of that is also 490 years assigned to you and your people to get it right, to really fulfill your part, your part, mm -hmm. your mission, your call. And if that doesn't happen, well, Jesus tells us what happened. He says in Matthew 21, take the kingdom from you and give it to those bearing fruit of righteousness. Take the kingdom from you and give it to those who are producing fruits of righteousness. In other words, Joel, there would have never been a need for a Christian church to be in the world today preaching had the Jews done their part, yes. lived up to their calling. Yes. So Daniel is, is still perplexed. He's still looking at himself and his people in, in exile. By this time, the Jews has already, have already moved back to Jerusalem. But if you, if you remember when we studied Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews didn't have an easy time because there were enemies surrounding them. Yeah, who mm -hmm. gave them a hard time. So yeah. Daniel is about 90 years old now. He's not thinking about going back to Jerusalem. He knows it's way past his time, but he has a burden for his people and things are not going as he, as he thought they should. This glorious return to Jerusalem and this glorious establishment of God's kingdom in Jerusalem with the Jews as his great people and ambassadors. And so chapter 10 opens with us seeing Daniel in that state. Let's look at verse 1 to 3. And that reads, In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put my oil on my body until the three weeks were over. So Daniel goes into a time of prayer and fasting, you may say. A partial fast because he still ate, but he says, no meat or wine touched my lips, no choice foods. I guess he probably went back to eating like he did in chapter one. Do you remember chapter one? Yeah. When he says just water and beans and stuff. So he probably went back to eating very, very simply as he spent time in praying, fasting, mourning for three whole weeks on behalf of his people. Because even though he had understanding of the overall arc of the vision, this time frame, this trouble with the little horn and all of that is troubling him as he asks himself, what about me and my people? What will become of my people? I find it interesting that Daniel during this time uses no lotions, no wine, no meat. Why? Because he's fasting, he's praying. There's a sense in which when we really have a spiritual burden, we need to remove the comforts of our creature comforts and the distraction of the world so that our energies can be concentrated in spiritual pursuit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time, physical comfort 
and pleasures dilute and dull our appreciation of the spiritual pursuits that we should have. And we see every great spiritual person in their time of spiritual need, when they are seeking connection and seeking God to move, tend to go into fasting and praying. And that's a difficult practice uh, for any one person because, again, we get so used to these things, they become such a, an integral part of how we operate that to deny ourselves of those things becomes in itself a very challenging uh, exercise. So do you think, Joel, that fasting moves God, that somehow as we fast, God is sort of like pricked and touched and he, that's why he acts because we fast? No. <laughs> I will say the the ball is always in our court in some way, uh, that God has already played his part and is just waiting for us to move. Uh, and so I don't think that we are manipulating the scales by fasting. <laughs> I like we put that, <laughs> manipulating the scales. Uh, rather, it's, it's really preparing ourselves for what God is already willing to do for us. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying fasting is not really for or about God, but for and about us? Yes, precisely. You're not saying that we cannot move God to act through our prayers and our fasting? I am saying that our prayers and fasting open us into a reality of appreciating how God is moving and acting. And that, in some ways, us... Uh, seeing that, seeing more clearly what God is doing and seeing that he's acting. Okay. In other words, when I fast, it is not to wring God's arm or, or, or to use your term, manipulate the scales, you know, but it really is me prioritizing the spiritual over the physical. Mm-hmm. Prioritizing my spiritual need over my present creature comforts and, and pleasure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I could live with that. So fasting is not really for God or about God. It's for us and about us. Yes, when God sees us move with such dedication, when God sees us cry out to him with, with a sense of purpose and this really is important, he acts and he moves. But it, it is always in harmony with us, as you say, becoming in tune with spiritual realities rather than God being disinterested. And only when we wring his arm through fasting, I could live with that. Yeah, because I even remember uh, Jesus' last prayer when he says, not my will be done, but your will. Uh, Because it's not necessarily the case that whatever we pray for is the best thing for us to receive. Right. As much as it may seem uh, uh, to be the most uh, pressing need we have. And, And I think... Fasting uh, as well, and, and just even the same thing with prayer, is a way again of surrendering to the will of God to come to in your life so that that which is the best for you is what occurs and not necessarily what you necessarily need immediately. And I like what you said there because when I look at Daniel, I see Daniel praying for his people, mm-hmm. his Jews, praying about Jerusalem right there in Palestine. In other words, Daniel is praying a local earthly prayer and still hasn't fully grasped the universal heavenly realities that God's people are not simply the Jews living 
in Palestine, that God's temple and sanctuary is not that building, for God doesn't live in buildings built by man's hands. So as you are saying something, when we pray, we think that we have it together. What we are praying for is really what we need. Sometimes we can't even glimpse the greater reality. Mm-hmm. And you are suggesting, therefore, that as we are willing to surrender in fasting and prayer and say, Lord, your will be done as I pray, I, I need this, God is able to sometimes show us the greater realities yeah. of what we really need. Yeah. But then let's look at verse 4 to let's say maybe 9 and see if this corroborates what you're saying. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphas around his waist. His body was like burial, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like the flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Only I, Daniel, saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but great terror fell on them, and they ran and hid. I was left alone looking at this great vision. No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale, and I was powerless. I heard the words he said, and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face on the ground. Wow. So Daniel has an encounter with a divine being, a heavenly being. One like a son of man with feet like burnished bronze and his eyes like flaming torches. It sounds very much like a description of Jesus Christ like that John gave in Revelation chapter 1 when he said he saw Jesus Christ with his eyes like fire, etc. Yet, as we read further, we realize it really isn't Jesus Christ. It's someone else. I believe it's Gabriel, the same Gabriel who God had sent in chapter 9 where they said, Gabriel, make this man to understand. Gabriel, the one who stands around the throne of God as a great and mighty angel. Mm-hmm who is sent now to Daniel to explain the vision, to explain what's really happening. So he is able to see in the struggles of his own people and their restoration, the greater picture of the struggle of God's people through the ages and their restoration when Christ sets up his own eternal kingdom. kingdom. Again, you notice whenever human beings have a contact with divine beings in the revelation of their glory and splendor, it weakens them. They, they feel fall to the ground. It reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest him. And they, and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And just those words, the Bible says the people fell back. I believe when he said those words, his divinity flashed out of his humanity. And they couldn't stand the glory, so they fell down like people dead. And there was Jesus standing, waiting for them to get up again. Because he came to die, he had nowhere to run. Maybe one of the problems, Joel, is that we have not had that encounter yet with the divine, the sublime, that makes us feel weak and we fall to our ground. Do you remember early on we were talking about sometimes these great cathedrals, the kind of impact they have on you. You want to share a bit? The, the, yeah, and, and this is really uh, the conversation about some of these spiritual religious art and in some of these uh, uh, churches and buildings that are meant for worship. They're able to make these very magnificent paintings and, and, and sculpt out all these designs within the buildings such that when you walk in, 
there is this aura of of wonder and amazement at, at what has been put together it, it it really humbles you to walk into a building that has been adorned with all these beautiful images that are yes. full of color but also full of meaning i think salomon probably had that in mind when he made the sanctuary so glorious and big and spared no expense to make it an impressive building it it is to help us recognize our smallness in comparison to god's greatness yes because sometimes depending on where we worship and this is just a word throwing out here how you treat your temple your place of worship maybe a revelation of how you really consider god your own appreciation for the divine and the, the spiritual because when you go into some of these great big temples you just feel an awe a humility as you said a sense of the bigness of god and this is just men trying to represent that awesomeness of god so you can imagine when men like isaiah when they actually saw a vision of god or like daniel when he came in contact with a divine being or a celestial being like gabriel there was no strength in him the same thing happened to john the apostle every time the angel appeared <coughs> he would be overwhelmed perhaps we need some of that today joel oh god could you overwhelm us sometime with your presence that we may really understand that we serve a great and mighty god so let's continue reading in daniel chapter 10 let's go from verse 10 to 19 and see what we can pick suddenly up suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees he said to me daniel you're a man treasured by god understand the words that i'm saying to you stand on your feet for i have now been sent to you after he said this to me i stood trembling don't be afraid daniel he said to me for from the first day that you purpose to understand and be humble yourself before your god your prayers were hard i have come because of your prayers but the prince of the kingdom of persia opposed me for 21 days then michael one of the chief princes came to help me after i had been left there with the kings of persia now i have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days for the vision refers to those refers to those days While he was saying these words to me I turned my face towards the ground and was speechless suddenly one with human likeness touched my lips I opened my mouth and said to the one standing in front of me my lord because of the vision anguish overwhelms me and I'm powerless how can someone like me your servant speak with someone like you my lord now I have no strength there's no breath in me then the one with a human appearance touched me again and strengthened me and he said Don't be afraid. You who are treasured by God, peace to you. Be very strong. And he spoke to me. I was strengthened and said, "Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me." Wow. So, Daniel receives three touches. One that allows him to speak, one that allows him to stand, and one that gives him strength. So, three times he mentions the angel touching him and each time he was touched he regained his faculties and strength but there's some interesting things that come out here in chapter 10 like in verse 12 he says since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself your words were heard and i have come in response to them what do you make of this he says daniel is praying for 21 days for god to reveal the vision to him to, to explain what's going on mm-hmm. 21 days and yet the angel says 
from the very first day that you were praying, I was sent. Does that make it? What, what comes to your spirit, Joel? It shows how God is prompting us, his action and his response. But yet, uh, there is these obstacles that, that are limiting how he's able to move immediately into our experience. Check verse 21 and see if, if you think that's the obstacle in this case. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book. No, of verse, 20, verse 13, sorry. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Right. Anything resonates in your spirit? The, the power, the powers of darkness working against the interests of God. Yes. Do you know many times, Joel, this experience of Daniel has encouraged me when my prayers don't seem to be answered or it's, it seems as though God has taken a long time to answer. That even though from the very first time he began to pray, Gabriel was sent. Yet it took 21 days for the answer to get to Daniel, because your spiritual force is opposing. This is the battle in the unseen realm, which is why Paul tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we are not battling flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in the high places, showing us that my battle is not against you, mm-hmm. it's not against my wife, not against your husband. is spiritual forces influencing people, seeking to cast doubts and confusion in the world instead of harmony and and peace so here it is the prince of persia we recognize that the prince of persia here is not the actual human being but the enemy satan represented as the prince of persia as being the one who's really in charge of persia how the great thing daniel is hoping for is that god's people will be able to go back home so far so good yeah the 70 years are about to end, but nothing seems to be happening great. So now, the king is supposed to sign the edict, but Satan is causing confusion and stuff to influence and keep the king from doing it. And Gabriel is fighting against the, the influence of the enemy so that the, the king of Persia will sign the edict. So we have on this hand the enemy keeping him back, on this hand Gabriel, and in that spiritual battle, just a paralysis has taken place, and Daniel is still praying. Eventually, it says Michael had to come and take over. Mm-hmm. Michael himself, Christ, we believe Michael represents Christ. For whenever we see Michael, is always in the context of that great champion of God who stands with people who fought against. Lucifer in, in heaven in Revelation chapter 7. So we say this is Christ. It took Christ to withstand Satan. So that now Gabriel could come to Daniel and say, it's going to be as you have prayed for. The answer is here. The king of Persia would set your people free. They will go home. Everything will happen well as you've seen. But no, there's a battle in the unseen realm. Do you think... It's always going to be easy when we pray. Sometimes prayers are answered quickly. Other times, they are not answered quickly because God has a lot of work to do in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. to let your dream come true. 
So let's say you're praying for your son or daughter to be converted. Well, when you pray, you free God to act on your behalf. You give God authority to enter into your space and act on your behalf with this son, this loved one. But this loved one has a free will. And Satan and his demons are already surrounding this person, clouding their minds so, so that they wouldn't accept the gospel. And as you pray, continue to give God that and his angels authority to act on your behalf to save this loved one. They have to battle these forces of evil. And sometimes it may take a long while because God doesn't work by force. He works by persuasion. So sometimes God has to organize a situation where he could turn on the radio at just the right time when this particular program comes on and he hears the gospel or maybe send him down this road where he meets this one by Satan is trying to send him up this road and just that battle taking place. In other words, we need to be patient when we pray and recognize sometimes our prayers cannot be answered readily because mm -hmm. there are forces in the spiritual realm that are opposing your prayers and opposing God's agencies to fulfill your prayers and sometimes it takes time. Yeah, and I think that should give us a little bit of assurance even as we find ourselves uh, working through our prayer lives because I, I think for for a lot of our listeners and, and even for me, there's always a bit of frustration that builds up as you pray and feel like things are not moving as quickly yes. and happening as instantaneously as you had anticipated. Um, and, and for many of us, we interpret that to mean that God is deaf or <laughs> is, 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 is blind to our requests. You know, he's, 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 he's not really, uh, putting himself in a position to respond instantly. But it's really God working through all these things that you laid out, Pastor. And, and I think it's it's a perspective as believers that we should have, or at least we should develop about what is going on beyond our, you know, visible reality. Because for many of us, we are very visual. We want to see it immediately. Yes. But there's a whole world that is beyond us that is also very active in our own situation. In fact... We say God can do anything, but God could do anything but be true to himself. God can do anything but be untrue to himself. Meaning, God is a God of love, justice, and mercy. The principles by which God has chosen to operate by, persuasion, fairness, prevent God from being a liar. It prevents God from being deceptive. It prevents God from going back on his word. Are you, are you still with me? Mm -hmm. Because God has limited himself to act in an honorable, loving, open, free, just manner. Just some things God can't do to fulfill his will. That yeah. makes sense? Yes, it does. And Daniel gives us a glimpse of this. Because Satan withstood Gabriel for 21 days until Michael had to come and take over the battle. And, and even when Gabriel came, he says, I have to go back. He said, I know, I have to go back and continue the fight with him. Wow, so there's, so there's a war over your life and mine. Mm -hmm. Even when you pray for that son's safety, which is why we pray every day for our children, and you lift up your loved one regularly, because even when there's a victory today, doesn't mean that victory today is a permanent victory. Mm -hmm. The forces of evil are always coming back, seeking to defeat you. That is why when Satan tempted Christ, how many times he tempted Christ? Three times. Three times. Mm -hmm. 
we know throughout his life, Satan was always there, but the, those three temptations in the wilderness is a, a, a microcosm, so to speak, a small scale representation of the fact that the enemy doesn't just go away because you said go away. So the first time Christ won the battle, you would think Satan would sulk and say, okay, you win. No, he comes back again with an even more subtle deception. You would think the second time he would go away and say, man, I lost. We come back again with an even more powerful temptation. And maybe this is why the, the, the cancer of being persistent in prayer becomes yes. important because the way Satan operates and the way the devil operates is such that he's persistent in his, in his ways of trying to destroy you, to frustrate yes. you. And so you have to be equally persistent in the opposite direction. Have you ever noticed, Joel, maybe not in your own life, but maybe that sometimes just when somebody gives the greatest testimony of, of victory, <laughs> sometimes just the next day, they find themselves in spiritual trouble. Mm-hmm. Or some people, they, I remember when I got baptized, I was, I was, I was a boy then, you know, and I felt so holy, Lord, you know. And that same afternoon, afternoon, I ended up fighting with my brother. <laughs> So after that joy of being baptized and feel, oh, I'm a brand new person, the enemy doesn't just walk away from us. That's a lesson we should all take to heart and never become careless because I won here yesterday, I'm going to win today. Mm-hmm. And I'm guaranteed I'm going to win tomorrow. He keeps coming with ever more subtle, ever more powerful suggestions and temptations until he could find that crack and break us down. Even Michael had to come and fight, and Gabriel had to go back and continue the fight, because the enemy doesn't give up. And that's the lesson I think God wants to give us today, Joel, you know, as we look at this experience of Daniel. The way into the kingdom is fought with tears and hardship. Nobody crawls into the kingdom on a bed of ease, as the hymn says. It's, it's a battle all the way, but the good news is what Romans 8 says. We are more than conquerors. conquerors. Mm-hmm. Through him. Through him. him. That's mm-hmm. why even Gabriel needed Christ's victory. Christ is our conquering prince who gives us that victory. Who gives us his Holy Spirit to triumph. It is not by what we do or by gritting our teeth and saying, I will never do this. It is by surrendering and recognizing that in our humanity, we are not as relentless as the enemy who has had so many thousands of years to tempt men and millions of years of life. We are puny in comparison with the forces against which we must fight. The other lesson I get from this experience of Daniel is the fact that the prophecy troubled him. It, it oppressed him. He says, my Lord, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision and I am helpless. Prophecy, it is true, encourages God's people along the way as they pass signposts, etc. But it could also be heavy to know the hardships that are to come, the disappointments that are to come, Mm -hmm. especially when that prophecy is not for you. Because Daniel is here seeing his people, wanting his people to go back to Palestine, seeing everything in, in the context of his people in Palestine, and God is saying, Daniel, look higher. Look beyond and see that the battle is not just with these Syrians around Judea harassing a people. It's not with these kings here. 
is this greater battle. And this little horn power that shows up and, and harasses, oppresses, and persecutes God's people through the ages. This is not going to be a short battle, Daniel. It's, it's, it's a bigger battle. It's bigger than you think. But again, when the victorious prince comes and strengthens Daniel and energizes Daniel, makes him stand on his feet, it is telling you and me, as we go along life's pathway, you will fall, you will stumble, you will be oppressed, you will be persecuted. But trust in me. Keep praying. Keep trusting. I'll, I'll lift you up. I'll make you stand. I'll give you words to say. Mm-hmm. I'll make you strong. And eventually, because I am the conquering prince, I am the one who defeated the enemy and cast him out of heaven. I am the one who defeated him on the cross. I am the one who defeated him while I walked on the earth and I resisted him. I promise you, you will be victorious with me. So the vision does two things. It shows that it's not an easy road. It will not be a walkover, a pushover. But at the same time, it says, trust in me because eventually I'm going to win. Thank you for joining with us through this season and even for listening to this episode. Let Us Go Deeper is an independent ministry and your contribution are essential to sustaining this journey. Please make any contributions you may to patreon.com slash l-u-g-d. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash l-u-g-d. And if this is your first time, please subscribe. And if you're one of our regular listeners, share the link, invite your friends to listen in, and they too can be blessed by this podcast. Let us go deeper.